Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the WCBC Podcast. My name's Hunter, and today uh, I've got two guests with me. Josh wasn't able to make it, and Alan's not here yet. So, oh, don't sneak, bro. <laughs> so, one of my guests here, one of the guests for us today is uh, Jake. He's getting ready to sneeze, so if he lets it rip. But uh, Jake's here, and then we've also got Pastor Jason. He's with us today. Guys, how y'all doing? We're good. 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 Dude, if you had sneezed, that would that would have been funny. Um, but, yeah, first off and foremost, I just want to uh, say it's good to be back. I know the last couple of weeks have been a little inconsistent. Uh, if, I, if you guys remember last time I mentioned uh, that I accidentally deleted an episode and that's true. I don't know where it is, uh, but the one that just went out today, we're recording Sunday, is the most recent one that was supposed to come out this last Thursday, so I hope you guys pick up on it. Sorry, it's a little late. I got married, and I've been gone, um, so I, I forgot, and that's on me, so we'll uh, I'll do better at getting things out on time. Um, but today, we are going to continue talking about Calvinism. Um, if you guys remember, we're doing a, a theology segment. Uh, I kind of changed the name of it. You've probably, you'll notice today or this week, about it's called Theology Discussions. Um, we're, we're really here to talk about these theologies and try to teach and inform, but really, we're wanting to just have good biblical conversation about them, maybe the things we agree, don't agree, agree with, and um, ultimately, we're just hoping that people are edified, but you know, these are things that need to be talked about because... I feel like throughout time, which you two will probably agree with this, so many people uh, just see a guy standing in the pulpit and what he says is true. And a lot of people may not know that there are a lot of preachers out there. There's a lot of different theologies and ways that men interpret Scripture. Um, And it's like, you know, I think of a good example of, you know, one of the classes, some of the classes I have to take through school, like they give us a prompt and everyone reads the passage of Scripture and then you interpret it and you have discussion about it. Um, and so I, I always think of that as an illustration of like pastors and preachers because like one guy might lean more towards a free will. You have the power to choose and one guy may not. And, and I feel like a lot of people just get used to what they hear throughout the years without being challenged. Um, and so I, I hope that this challenges everybody. It's challenging us because it's not like we we definitely don't have the complete answers. We are not the divine response of how things need to be we're just three guys that are trying to interpret the text as best as we can but some of these things do extend outside of our normal minds and what you know what we can comprehend because we're talking about the things of God Um, you know it's almost like we're talking about things from God's perspective like his throne and while that's great we do recognize that it's not our place to try to take his throne and say this is how things are all we do is read the word but uh, this topic today even though it's from a, a high perspective we're hoping we can bring some sort of clarity to it um, so guys first off thanks for uh, joining and I'm really excited about this conversation uh, so we are going to move more towards off the history of John Calvin. We covered that uh, in this last segment. We're going to move more towards kind of like the doctrine he stood in and what his side of the fence looked like. Uh, if you guys remember, we've kind of put it like Calvinism and Arminianism because both clashed against each other. Not that the two men knew each other. It's really their followers. Uh, you know, John Calvin's group was like, we're over here. The Arminian group's like, we're over here. And throughout history, they've kind of drugged the two men's names through the mud a little bit, making them into things they're not. Um, but, you know, today we're going to focus on just free will because um, it's like, for example, you know, John Calvin had a total sovereign 
idea and image of God. Um, and he got this through scripture. I actually have his book right here. And if you go through it, I mean, he's got scriptures to support everything. I mean, he's smart. But it's kind of like when a man says that we should delete the phrase free will from church history and church future history, it shouldn't be in the name at all. Yeah, you're quoting his book. Yeah, I, I mean, literally, and I'm going to read the quote word for word here in a minute. Uh, well, I'll go ahead. He said, if it were asked of him, he's talking about himself, it would be to give it up. Uh, I mean, how do we interpret that? Because if we go out to any church in the surrounding area and say, what's free will to you? We're going to get a lot of different options. We're going to get a lot of different answers. So first and foremost, before we even talk about John Calvin, uh, both of you, I'd like to see your answers on both of this. Your experience in church with the term free will, what what has that been and what does that look like for you guys now? So who whoever wants to start. So f- free will. Okay. Free will. Um it's not totally free because there's constraint in everything. Um, there are laws that Romans teaches us that's written inside of man's conscience and awareness of uh, the Godhead, uh, God's sovereignty, um, and his uh, man's accountability. Man's responsible to to uh, to uh, call upon God. He's responsible to repent of his sin. So free will always has a constraint. Um, so really. I don't think free will is really the right word because in whatever situation that you're in, I mean, uh, free will wouldn't have a constraint at all. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have a law that's against it. So in reality, I don't think you can use the phrase that way. Um, But by decision, decisions, uh, a man's conscience, and then also um, the constraints that's around him, the things that's in his life, the things that... uh, uh, one, one one person wrote that uh, we're limited even concerning gravity and aerodynamics and and flying and and we're not like birds we can be in a plane but there's still a constraint upon us in our lives so I think we have to look more or less to what what is written in man uh, apart from God of how that he's supposed to give acknowledge to God and uh, to the part of then God's enlightenment and uh, God's instruction to man to repent. So so just to be totally free, I don't agree. I guess I just don't agree with that statement completely because there's always constraint. Absolutely. Jake Clayton talks about, uh, I can't, you, what's that scripture that says a love that constrains? That's in Corinthians. You Google that. But it talks about, uh, the example I always like is Galatians. In the book of Galatians, there, there's a there's a text that says, "For," and I'm paraphrasing, but for freedom's sake, Christ freedoms us, for the sake of freedom, and for us to say that you know a, a complete free will, I'm like Jason in the fact that that can be very damaging uh, to the fact that oh I can be uh, what. I can be saved today. I can choose not to be tomorrow. I, I have free will to do anything and all things that I want. And you got to be cautious because for those who are in Christ and have been freedom for freedom's sake, our freedom comes from the fact that we are born-again believers in Christ. So the example that I always use is uh, you take a fish, you take a fish and you put that fish in water. What does his freedom consist of? The water. Does the fish have the freedom to jump out of the water? 
All the freedom in the world. But what freedom does he have once he's laying on the bank? His freedom's gone. Our, Our freedom in Christ comes from that relationship with Christ. My freedom is built on Christ and who he is, not on me and my own ideas. And that verse is, what number was that? For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. My freedom is constrained to what Christ did in the good news of the gospel yeah. in my spirituality. Yeah. So to get to the, the hub of kind of what you were talking about, uh, for those that use that term, the free will, I guess another question I would have is exact what context you know, are it is that preacher portraying it? Um, is that teacher portraying it? Is that um, maybe Christian portraying it? Because it can be very damning. Yeah. In the wrong perspective yeah. of what free will actually. Yeah. It sounds like that uh, free will versus predestination is where the argument is, right? How free are we, and what choices can we make, and what all can we do, um, or then. How can we be right with God? And it always revolves around man wanting to be right in his own eyes. Yep. Man wanting to pick and choose. Um, and then for God just to accept it. So so when you look in the in the light of Scripture, is that how could a man live free out from underneath the constraint of God's laws and his word? Or how that he's called man to, whether it's in Adam's day, to offer sacrifice and one son wouldn't and one son would. And God basically told him, if you'll do what's right, you're younger brother will serve you but if you don't sin lies at your door and so i think we view free will um in an extent that men want to have their own power in their decision making and um and and they do to an extent but in god's sovereign plan and in god's laws that he's given them and even through christ it says now the grace of god's appeared unto all men uh, texts and romans for all sin come short of the glory of god romans 1 for therein is the rights of god revealed uh, in the gospel so man's required and every time he rejects that truth it said when he holds it in his bosom he becomes unthankful he becomes unthankful then all of a sudden he starts worshiping images and graven images after he stops uh being thankful and he stops recognizing god's mm-hmm. deity then what does he do he keeps becoming more debased mm-hmm. on his choice mm-hmm. but his choice is contrary to god's laws and the conscience that he has towards god and a rejection of the gospel that he holds in his bosom so, and he changes the yeah. truth into the lie. Right. Well, and, and it's kind of like when you, and, and I have a few thoughts myself, but so like John Calvin attributes like there's no guilt found in God for sin, obviously. Uh, he actually quotes Ecclesiastes 7.29, which says, I know that God made men good, but man has fashioned many evil desires. So what the writer Solomon saying is God was intended, he intended man to be good. I mean, we, we can think about that. God looked out and saw that all things were good in creation. But then we get to that verse, you know, when we get into Genesis 6, where it's like God repented that he ever made man. Not that God's confessing he did wrong, but that he has sorrow and pity towards man because of his actions. Now, obviously, this paints a picture between pre-fall and post-fall. So what happened in the garden, the tree of good and evil, right? Uh, Once the fruit was ate of, they had a knowledge of good and evil. But the reality is, is it's not the the knowledge they had of good or evil. It's the introductory of slavery to sin. 
It's also of making their own decisions apart from what God commanded them. But, but, we also have to look at, and this is a conversation uh, we can have later on, um, the, the serpent himself and the agenda he had to mislead and bring into captivity Adam and Eve. Because one thing about John Calvin's biggest argument is man's truly not free when he's in slavery. He might feel like he's free. He might make decisions, but because of the slavery that he's under to sin, how can you be free when you're in bondage? And that's where like, I was looking at, just kind of looking through this book, and he says, so he says this, It remains for us to discover whether being now in bondage we are devoided from all freedom and liberty, or whether if some parts survive, how far that extends. So he, I mean, that's what he's saying. The question is, are we completely devoid of all liberty and all freedom, or do some things survive? And so, you know, it's like when we think of this free will, you know, growing up, I I kind of viewed Christianity as your choice. Now, this was brought up just from a primitive Baptist mindset, but also from a, a kid who didn't know anything. I wasn't saved till 11 or 12. But even when I got into another ministry right out of high school, it was based on your decision. Um, you know, I didn't know what sovereignty was. I didn't know exactly what all these doctrines are. I just knew I had faith in Christ and that I'd been saved. But when I look at free will, I think the biggest issue is something we discussed before the podcast is free will introduces an idea that man has enough power within himself to make decisions. Um, a deity, in a sense. And uh, Jake said this, it can be more damning and damaging than it can be beneficial. And that was John Calvin's case for we shouldn't talk about it, we shouldn't say it anymore. Now, the other thing that I have with free will is I believe that some people have an issue with it because they use it to define define the prideful life they want to live. Therefore, I can do what I want. So if we introduce an idea of an all-sovereign God who controls all things, some people begin to become insecure because they want their life the way that they want their life. It's like in the TV shows. I referenced this one time, like, Disney's got this TV show out about a superhero who's wanting to fight against the creators of time. And he's, his whole purpose is, I define my future. I do what I want. And I think that's some of the issue with people who believe in this power that they can have with it within themselves is because if you take away their choice or if you take away this or you take away this, then they're kind of like, oh, well, you're saying I can't do what I want. So I think a lot of it has to revolve around the word I. Now... Obviously, the three of us, God doesn't make me sin. I, I mean, he literally, he doesn't like sin. It can't be in his presence, right? He said, don't ever say I've tempted anybody, right? We can read that in James. So God doesn't make me sin. So there is this idea, biblically, that I can fall short and it's my fault. It was Adam and Eve's fault. It's Jake's fault. It's Pastor Jason's fault when they fall short. But still... This term free will has kind of butchered that a little bit because now it's kind of like you're making the choice instead of what Paul argues for in Romans 7 when he's talking about the Christian. There's sin in us that makes the Christian fall. And when we're saved, it's not us, but it's Christ who's in us, Galatians 2, or Galatians 2.20. So when we talk about free will and we talk about the garden and we talk... I mean, one thing that we really need to, to answer is, are we completely slaves to sin when we're lost? 
whoever wants to answer that. I, I know that's a, a complex question. Well, the, the, the Bible says we're dead oh. in our trespasses and sin. So to be a slave to sin, um, it would be a dead man. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, what, what choice does a dead man make? What, yeah. what good does a dead man do? I mean, a dead man is yeah. therefore dead. So... And it's like, uh, and we're without, talking about lost people at the moment. Yeah, and without the Holy Spirit of God illuminating uh, His Spirit and Christ and the good news of the gospel in you, yeah, uh, you you live in that. It's like we were talking about earlier. It's like you know, like John talks about in the first chapter. He give them the power to become sons and daughters. Whether King James, you know, translates his power, other talks about it being the right or the ability, and and that's what He does in our lives. If it weren't for Christ and the good news of the gospel, how do you know you're a sinner? How do you know? You know Christ and the good news of the gospel, and it's Him who shows us our lostness. So without Him yeah. showing us, then then what choices do we have? So, and I think right there, Jake, you've kind of introduced this thing because obviously we're slaves to sin. Jesus said that. He who sins is a slave to sin. You can't serve two masters, right? Another text. But here's the thing. Some people argue that we have a spiritual side to us, even lost people, that they can understand God. But I think that's because people get two things confused. Having knowledge of Jesus and then having complete spiritual enlightenment that you're lost in your sins. These are two different things. Because I know people that can say they're lost. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. But when I read the scripture, there's a difference between having a knowledge and then having a complete spiritual enlightenment of lostness. Because when you look at like God drawing us, John 6, 44. So in this process, there's a moment where God speaks to you, right? We've talked about special revelation that you're in need of Christ the Savior. There's a difference between that and then looking at the Bible and hearing a preacher talk about going to hell, and if you do this, you're a bad person, if you do this, and then someone saying, well, I am that person. I know I'm lost. Because when I look at, are we slaves to sin in the text you quoted in Ephesians 2, 1, I view that as there's no spiritual enlightenment. A, a dead being has no life, and if Jesus said, I came to give life and give it more abundantly, no one can have life or any sort of spiritual pulse unless they've been saved by the grace of God. Now, one of the biggest things that I hear when I talk about this is, well, I know so-and-so who said that they felt like they needed to be saved, and they said no. Okay, so then we come into this area of, can someone reject the grace of God? It's a conversation for another day that also really gets into this dicey area because if I answer one way, right, then I might be interjecting something. If I answer the other way, I might be taken away from what God's trying to do. Saving's God's will. Saving is God's job. But when we look at free will, we really have to, I mean, we've really got to define it because if I stand and proclaim that men, right, who are dead in their sins have some sort of spiritual awareness, then I'm contradicting what Scripture says about our deadness. And even Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, the same thing. He says, you once walked in these things completely unaware you were this, you were this, you were this, but God, right, rich in his mercy. Mm -hmm. So even in Ephesians 2, not only does it say we're dead, but Paul's like, you were like this, but when the grace of God appeared, you were saved, and this is not who you are anymore. And so when we talk about the slavery to sin, 
I, I, I mean, literally, you are in bondage. You are under debt. But not only are you under bondage and under debt. Your enemies of God. Enemies and you're at enmity and you have no spiritual awareness. Yeah. So, so men, though, they, they want to be right. The young man wanted to be right. He wanted eternal life, and he wanted his life as well. Yeah. So even the religious man, which Christ had a great burden for the religious people. Correct? Zacchaeus, before the Lord went to his, he wanted to do what was right. right. I mean, right. that's obvious. So there's a part of man, the Scripture teaches us, even like in creation, when he uh, illuminates the sun, the same as the sun blesses us in Tennessee, it blesses people in Japan. There's a witness inside of people of, he, of him being creator. Yeah. You have the witness of... Uh, the church in the days that we live, correct? So you got the church, uh, the the testimony of Christ. Even if you go back, there was always, whether it was Noah, whether it was a prophet, whether it was a king, there's always been an awareness. Then Paul's a religious man, and Paul makes this statement. He said, uh, until sin revived, then I, I, I died. died. I, I was a covetous man and didn't realize it. So Paul, as far as con, con, uh, concerning the law and his zeal and his lineage, he was all about that. Almost, he said, blameless concerning him trying to obtain that type of righteousness. But that was without the conviction, without the conviction that he was in his sins and his trespasses. That's how you could condone a young man to be killed in his feet and his clothes laid at your feet and not realizing that he was fighting God who he thought yeah. he actually knew. So a person that wants to be right in their own eyes will condemn and they'll accept yeah. one or the other, the right and the wrong, the moralities. Uh, the choices that they make, but they're all still within the constraints of yeah. where that they live. And, and, you know, you talked about Paul, but even while you were speaking, you know, I started thinking about that this whole, de- you know, debate between men wanting to do good and wanting to... I mean, this goes back to the Old Testament. So, I mean, it's like, for, for an example, you know, before I truly got into the study of doctrine and, and really started sitting under doctrinal teaching and preaching here and other places, uh, I had this idea that every day of life was you know, what it was going to be. And here's an example. So like Jacob and Esau, right? They made that choice, therefore that's what happened. But when you start looking a little more in depth with that, um, when you look at the Jacob and Esau story, then you get into like the Romans 9, right? Before both were born, right? For the sake of election. But in that phrase when it talks about the sake of election, God knew, right, foreknew that Esau would not be the one that would be a faithful lineage, right? A faithful man towards God. Jacob would, even though him and his mom tricked, right? Israel, his father. And so when we keep going, right? Or not Israel, Isaac, not Israel, because Jacob eventually becomes Israel. Um, But see, growing up, I had this idea of like, this is their choice. This is what they're going to do. But now look, when you look at doctrine and you look at scripture, there's a little more to it than just a chance, right? Or, or some percentage of hope or this happening or this happening. I mean, no, we see God's will is in the midst of that circumstance. Um, God never based his decision on how Christ would come through the failures or the achievements of man, regardless, because they all failed through Scripture. So that that was Yeah, things, he made a way regardless. Regardless. So it's, it's like, that, preach. like David like what I sent you there a while ago about David, is that even when it come time, lying, saying that Saul sent me, yeah, and lying <laughs> about that so that the priest would give him some bread, is that to the point where even when he wrote the letter, even when the prophet came to him, even when he sinned with Bathsheba, 
the coming of Christ and the truth that they held in their bosom was never based on whether we responded or not or whether that we, because in God's foreknowledge and in his plan, he knew. Mm-hmm. But another thing is that, here's a text that I looked up a minute ago. Um, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah. Okay. Then you go down a few more, and he says, Jesus answered them, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. The son therefore shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. That freedom was was not to live like you want to. That freedom was now they would the truth would be in their bosom. Their desire would be to follow that truth. That's the guideline of their life from here on out. And their disobedience will call for repentance. Yeah. So the the freedom that we have in Christ and the relationship that he initiates when he, yeah. when he reveals himself to man, that he's dead. Uh, the wages of sin is death. So the physical side of us, we're all going to die. It's appointed, Hebrews nine twenty seven. But when you get to the part of making your own decisions, I mean, the way of a transgressor, right? It's hard. Yeah. Another text, the Lord, he has pleasure in the death of his saints to those he's called. Romans eight twenty eight and 29, those he foreknew. But when you look as far as free will goes, I think that uh, in man's own mind and in his own, as far as he could think about free will, to an extent, he can do what he wants to do, but there's laws of the land that condemns him if he if he breaks those laws. But when he sins against God, if he's dead and he sins and trespasses, he's not going to obey the truth of God. He's not going to obey the gospel of Christ. He's not going to be a, a follower. The four seeds, right? You have the analogy. The, the word goes out. People love it for a little while. People want to follow it for a little while. They get happy inside. But when the cares of the world it falls on yeah. rocky ground till it hits that good seed, when it hits the good seed, it'll be those that have been set free. The condemnation has been removed because the blood of Christ is paid for their sin. Now you got the person is that now they're set apart. They don't know they're set apart until the Holy Spirit lives inside. So... For religious men to talk about free will, it's almost as if they want to give themselves a power. They want to give themselves this thought, this yeah. theology. And that in lies the issue. Yes. That, yes. That's the heart of the issue. Uh, did uh, did David make bad decisions? Absolutely. You know, did uh, yeah. the disciples make poor yeah. decisions? Peter made poor decisions. But when it comes to that free will of Christ and God, and his will going forward, see, that's what we cannot, number one, maintain. And number two, that, that's what we can't wield. Because like, uh, you know, quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon about the Esau and Jacob. He said, he, you know, they, they come to him like, I, I don't I don't get how could God hate Esau? And, you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I can't understand why he would ever love Jacob. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So did Jacob make poor decisions? Yes, I have. You have. But when it comes to the free will of the will of God, at purpose, in my heart, as a a regenerate, uh, born-again believer that Christ is indwelled, my purpose and my goal is the will of God going forward. Not my will. Jesus Christ prayed it himself. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That will of God and God's purpose going forward is, is God's. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make poor choices. My wife made a poor choice. She married me. But still, yeah, God's <laughs> gracious. 
you see what I'm saying? And, and his will yeah. for her life and my life is moving. Are there consequences? Yeah. Absolutely. Can God still move and work through those? Yes, absolutely. Uh, scripture proves that. And I I know I butchered the references earlier, but like there's a difference at looking. So like our decisions make up God's will versus our, God's will defines our decisions. I, I, I really think that's, yeah. I really think you said that very well. Say I was, that again. So... Oh gosh, our our decisions make up God's will versus God's will defines our decisions. Yeah. So that's the two sides of the fence because even like earlier when I was oh, I butchered the reference about who Israel was and Jacob and I mean you got so think about this you got Abraham right uh, he's living in our land of the Chaldeans all of a sudden God calls him out okay. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, right? A land I'll show you. Yeah, and it's like, you know, this last week somebody was talking. Um, actually, it was in a forum. I was reading this guy, and he was talking about how uh, Abraham, he said probably Abraham worshipped false gods. It's like we've, we never read that in Scripture. The Bible just says that he had faith. So when you precede Abraham, so what's he say? Count the stars, Abraham. That's your lineage. Look at the dust. That's your lineage. You're going to bless many nations, right? Your seed... Right, not seeds. I mean, there's references to Christ too. So he has Isaac. Isaac has his sons. Jacob has his sons. They have the. And so you really look at this. So it's not that God's will was made up out of the decisions of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Because if it was, no, there's no plan B. Yeah, there, it yeah, would be pretty crappy. No B, yeah. So that's where I'm saying, like, when we look at free will. I think, and you said this, man in his own mind has come up with some scheme to give himself the ability to make decisions. So it's like this, you know, today I was able to eat Mexican food, right? But who created the taste buds, right, for me to have that? Who allowed me to come to Madisonville, Tennessee? Who gave me the money, the gas, all these opportunities to go to the, who would put that Mexican restaurant there? So it's not that God's will just comes up from randomness some algorithm, right? No, it's that there's a divine will that has been established before the foundations of the earth. So when we look at Abraham, he, Sarah's gonna have a child even though she never has. I mean, he literally went and had Ishmael, right? And God's like, no. I, you know, I hear his cries in the wilderness, but he, here's Isaac, okay? Isaac, here's your two sons, but let's forget tradition, right? There, there's some man's will to Try and trash it. Yes. Right there with Ishmael. And, and, and you get to, okay, the the firstborn receives the blessing. Okay, now all of a sudden Jacob comes out holding Esau's heel, right? And you look at, okay, now Jacob is going to be blessed, right? Okay, then Jacob's going to have all his sons. You go through there. Then you get to the last half of Genesis, and now you're reading about Joseph and the life he had to endure, but none of that's based off their decisions because if they based it off their decisions, then it would be corrupt. It never would have made it because they would have pursued the things that they wanted. I mean, we got to think. Abraham and Sarah lied. Okay. Isaac, Rebecca lied, right? I mean, you keep going. You keep, yeah, you yeah. keep going. Um, Joseph, right? I mean, he's faithful, right? His brothers tried to kill him, but yet because of God's grace and election, he goes forward, okay? Um, the the wife, right? Whose wife was it? Potiphar's wife or whoever? Yeah, it was Potiphar's. She's like, hey, he's trying to, and he's yeah. like, no, no, no. So then he goes to prison, but God uses him, right? Yep. The dreams and all that. So it's kind of like when you look at free will, like there are things in my life that I feel like I decide. I mean, it's like, you know, 
the honeymoon I went on last week. We feel like we made that decision to go there. And in my mind, I do. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, well, God, he don't control things like that. I, I do. It's, he's, so it was God's divine will that you would go to Coker Creek. Could Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me throw something in here. So when I look as far as when God created, he saw that it was good. Yeah. Reigns on the just and on the unjust. God's provided everything for humanity. The saved and all the things unsaved, from above, right? All blessings from right. above. So I think within our lives, just like in the garden, uh, before the fall, you dress the garden, you keep it. There's work designed for you to do. Yeah. So there are things that, that he allows man to do, right? There are things that he's designed man to do. And I think that in the blessing of God that uh, we wake up, um, being thankful that, that he's allowed us to live another day. We plan our day out. But the Bible says, don't make plans for tomorrow, right? Go to the marketplace, right. that example. So so it's, it's in that aspect where you've got those that are unsaved, that don't know God's will. They don't have the laws written in the heart. They don't understand the imputed righteousness that we have in Christ. They don't understand the freedom of the penalty of death that's on people that are dying. But death, uh, Hebrews 9, 27, as we said, the wages of sin is death. Death is in the saved and the unsaved's home. Because that death is a reality, there's a time that people will think about eternity. It's, it's, it's inside of them to think about rejection or not, belief or not. Man is aware death is one of the things that's the result of sin. So it's not that he dies without knowing. It's die, he dies in unbelief, the Bible teaches in Matthew. Man dies in his rejection. You can speak all manner of blasphemy against the Son of Man, right? There's a lot of things you can do. But when you reject the Holy Spirit, when you reject deity, when you reject the message, the people that died from the beginning of the fall, when they went into the abyss, when they went to Guiana, when they went to the pit, the people in Noah's day, they always knew. Now, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. They decided to live the way they wanted to outside of, of the response to God. Yeah. But, yeah, and that's kind of like, and some people might be listening to this and be like, you know, you guys are against free will. We're not at all. I mean, think about this. If people, if, if there wasn't some sense of free will, there wouldn't be some sense of accountability and responsibility and judgment. Because people that stand before God on the white throne judgment are there because of their actions and their deeds. Nobody's going to be able to go before God and say, I, I didn't know of you, right? I, I didn't have a chance. Like, that would make God unfair. Now, while some people hold to this view that God is just in doing that and he created them for that, I look at the characteristics of God and when he says that he doesn't want anyone to perish or go to hell, right? He, he wants people to be saved. It creates this idea that people are going to stand before God in judgment to give an account of their lives and how they didn't believe in Jesus, right? Okay, so I, I do believe in, in a sense of free will, but we really have to narrow that down because like Jake asked earlier, he said, so it, was it God's will for you to go to Coker Creek? I believe so, but more in-depth than that, Jake, was it God's will to give me and my new wife a great week and bless us with a, an amazing opportunity? Absolutely. God opened that. God gave us that. But we have to understand that, like, so as Christians, we have that spiritual knowledge, right? We can discern things. We can understand things. So you can get in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? 
Paul's like, who understands the thing, the, the man's mind except his spirit? So the spirit discerns the deep things of God. And then right after that, he says, for we haven't received the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit of God, and the things we speak of now, right, are from the spirit. So a, a Christian can discern between spiritual God's will, right, and what's not God's will. It's like right now. I can make a decision to sit here or go out and go buy a pack of cigarettes. I have that ability within me, but yet because of the Holy Spirit of God, there is a guidance and a discernment that He has put on me, but within me that I will spiritually look at that decision and say, no, because I've been delivered from a lifestyle. Or, no, I know this could become an idol in my life. That's easy to define for the Christian. I mean, someone who's a believer, right? You can understand Scripture that they have knowledge within them of good and bad. But I think where a lot of people get really hung up on is that whole thing we talked about earlier. Do our decisions make up God's will, or does He define His will, and our decisions, you know, come from that? Well, Go ahead, Jake. In Acts chapter 2. It's right here where uh, uh, Peter, he stands up and he, he starts preaching. Let me read this one text uh, that, that he says... You men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, signs. I mean, and that he's 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 pointing back to the Old Testament to the you know about the prophecies and, and how he would come, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. He's like, You know this. Verse twenty three, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Mm. So so how did he get here? You know what I'm saying? Well, how is he here? What's the presence? What's the terms? It's the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. But, but catch this. You have taken, and by wicked hands, you've crucified him. So in that one verse... You get the foreknowledge of God, the, the predestined, the, the all-knowing, but yet that all-knowing still hits the responsibility of man. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got yes. the all-knowingness of God Almighty meeting the responsibility of man in that he can say that, hey, look, you crucified him. Yeah. And then Jesus standing in front of Pilate, he says, this is not my kingdom, if it my kingdom. You know, my, my people would fight. This is not it. And he says, you not know that I have the power and the authority? And he says, there's no authority. Unless it were given to you. Given you by God. By God. And he says, for this cause, I'm here. It's the only reason I'm in. He said, this yeah. is the way it has to be. Yeah. So you don't get it, Pilate. Yeah. See, and, and Pilate's looking at it as the free will I'm pilot. I can do what I want. Don't you get it? Yes. I can do whatever I want to. But on the, the other wavelength, looking back in Christ's eyes, looking back at pilot, no, you, you don't get it. Yeah. This is for our freedom. Yes. So, and Jake, within that example you just talked about, you've got the Jews who denied him, right? Isaiah 53, who has believed our report. We understand that there was a wicked and perverse generation, Right. And they're blind, the blind leading the blind. Christ would look at the Pharisees and say, okay, but then you get the disciples, right? So he looks at Peter. He says, who am I? Mm-hmm. He says, thou art the Christ. 
And what does he say? Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood haven't revealed that to you, but my Father who art in heaven. So here's a a blind leading the blind group of people, and then here's a fisherman who God has revealed the truth of the Son of God to. That would be a preacher of the gospel. So in this midst is God's will, but what's included in, in God's will is our idea of we're choosing. So it's like Jesus went to Peter that day and said, come and follow me and I'll be a fisher of men. And I guarantee you, Peter was like, he, he could say no, he could say yes, but Peter was chosen before the foundations of the world. So we have to understand this, and I, I love that we're hidden this way. When it comes to God, there's no such thing as free will in his in His throne room in his it's all determined it's all been appointed by god you quoted a text another one to go with that at a point of time god sent forth his son through a virgin right so to god to our lord and savior right to him there's no chance there's no randomness everything was planned everything was assigned he's sovereign but because of his foreknowledge, right? He knows how people are going to respond. He knows he's going to be at the white throne. You know, we talk about names being written down, but there's a part in the Bible that talks about names being erased, right? So we look at this and we're like, man, God is powerful. God is sovereign. God is on the throne. God saves. God does what he wants because he's sovereign. But that's his perspective. Within his perspective and his will, we exist on a day-to-day basis of what we think we need to do. In reality... And it's not free. Let me say this: it's not a free will in everyday life. It's an obedience or disobedience to the word and the commands of God. Only God could have the free will, where sin can't right enter into His presence. He nor can, He can do what He wants. Right. So, so in reality, think about this: only God could provide the sacrifice. Only God could provide what man couldn't provide because man's tried to do it forever. Mm-hmm. And the culmination of that deliverance of that penalty of sin would be in Christ. And up until Christ came on the scene, there's always been a representative. There's always been a messenger. There's always been a voice in the wilderness. There's always been a prophet. Mm-hmm. There's always been a king. And not all kings and not all prophets were from God. But the ones that he had set apart... There's always been a voice. And then the culmination of Christ's birth and then his life being the message, right, that we preach today. If you preach another message, let him be accursed. But the finality even of this is that judgment. It has to end in judgment because of the sin and because of the, the choices that mankind has made to be disobedient. They were alienated, right? So when we look at it within our own lives is that with God having that uh, all-knowing that he could speak about Judas before he ever came so the scriptures could be fulfilled. He could give the, the John the Revelator, he could give him the end of the story, right? And they still be living in the middle. Yeah. And watch the scripture come out day by day, truth by truth, yeah. and see it coming to a head. But to those that are unsaved and those that, uh, that live the life they, I mean, the way of a transgressor, right? It's hard. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. reap. By the words that come from your mouth, you're justified or you're condemned, right? The very idle thoughts, the words that you speak. So man's accountable. He's a, he's a cannibal. Has to be. Has to be accountable. And here's the part. God has never left him without a way or a light. So and John Calvin said this, another quote, Man has no free will to do what is right, Unless he is aided by God's grace. 
special grace given only to those the elect by regeneration. I want to pull something out. Man cannot do good or know to do good unless aided by God's grace. So what you just said is throughout time there's always been a witness. Abraham, the lineage, right? You get to little Samuel, you get to David, you get to Ezekiel, Isaiah, and you just keep going through the Old Testament. 400 years of silence, but yet we still have records of things that took place. We have books, right? People are still seeking God. And then Christ is born in a lowly manger. And from there, the Bible is complete when Christ arrives and dies and ascends and He's going to come back, right? Because His death on the cross was the finality for all things because Him dying on the cross was Him able to say, I've defeated death and hell and I will return. But what I love about this is when we define what is good and what is a good choice, we can truly only make good choices if we're aided by God's grace. And Christians have an opportunity. They they literally live in the opportunity because of God's grace to do what is right. But here's what you just here's I want to add to what you just said. The lost person still has an opportunity to do what's right and experience God's grace. And so when you listen to this today, you might be like, well, I'm good. y'all have talked about all things. All, this is a big topic, and there's more to be said about it. But we have to realize, God's perspective is not ours. It's not like God just pushed play and was like, all right, I'm going to sit back and see what happens and intervene only when I need to. Yeah, it's not a football game. Yeah. We're, we're talking through a glass darkly here today. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Here's God's perspective, and we need to let God rule from his throne and pl- see things the way that he's designed them to be. And he's the standard. He is. We can't we can't lose sight of that. So, you know, in Calvin's uh, quote, and, and right here is where we're tying this thing down, he's the standard of yes, good. Yes, he is. Okay, so... You can say, well, I mean, what do you mean? I have the, the choice to do good. I have the choice. Yes, you know, you, you can you can you know, open the door for a lady or whatever. But the point is, is like according to whose standard? And see, when we as born-again believers, Christians, uh, seek and search in the will of God for our life, He is that standard. And the Bible yeah. says without faith, it's mm-hmm. impossible. So the goodness that we portray is not the goodness of our own that's that's where yeah. we come to that scripture that says you know he imputed his righteousness that's the only way that i live breathe and operate yeah in the goodness of god is through his imputed righteousness on my life yeah so for that will to be that you know i don't need i don't need the church i don't need this you know i don't need that to, to i can be good and just be a good person okay yeah. okay where does morality come from where does the standard of morality come from? That's the question that we have to go to. So, yeah, you, you have a, a free will to say, you know what, I can be nice to the people at the, the grocery store. Or, you know, I can, but your standard of morality is based off of what? My standard of morality is based off of Christ and crucified. Yeah. And, and that's like this if you were to take the word or the phrase free will out of history, you would have this. The Bible portraying men completely dead and lost in their sins. And then the message of the gospel saying you can have freedom in Christ. That's all you'd have. There wouldn't be an emphasis on man's decisions or man's power. It would all be about those are lost, you can be saved. And I think one of the biggest things is that this idea of free will is what we've already mentioned here today. It's injected a idea that man has a choice. Now... People can hear the gospel. They can reject the gospel. They can come to the church. They can leave the church. They'll have to answer for God to their response to the gospel. 
But what I know is this. Man's dead. There's nothing good. No one can do good. No, not one. The Bible is plain and simple. But when you start studying out the freedom you have in Christ, it's different. Because only those who can say that they were dead in their sins and their trespasses and freed through the faith that they had in Christ can speak of what it was like to be in slavery and what it's now like to live in freedom. Because when you can look at struggles or temptations and identify them and say, no, I I don't want that. I want what's in Christ. My life is uh, centered on Him. You know, it's like this week, like, you know, marriage is great. But man, we went outside one day and we were just sitting. I mean, it's beautiful. And I really started to reflect on the grace of God for the opportunity that He's provided for me to be able to have a wife. And it's only by God's grace and so when it says that he's the father and all spiritual blessings come from above, that is reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for what Christ did on the cross because of what he did. We can sit in this room and say we once were dead, mm-hmm. but now we're alive in Christ. The will of, I'm sitting here thinking the will of God, even your sanctification, has been for every person that's put their faith in him. Abraham couldn't live the way he wanted to live, but by faith he followed God. There's a reason why he built altars. He, he, There's a reason why he confessed his sins. Yeah. Even for the church, all down through time, since salvation is based on faith, it, sanctification is where we've been set apart to live out a yeah. holy life with a God that lives within us, yeah. with an instruction from him. And the difference between those that are not sanctified and those that are is those that have the relationship yeah. with him, those that are born of him. So sanctification is where moral... moral um, can't think the word for it. just trying to be morally good and trying to be religiously right in your own eyes that type of life sanctification is where you deny yourself sanctification yes. is where you allow his holy word to define how you live yeah. the decisions that you make through the power of the holy yeah. spirit so so i think sanctification has always been a part of those that's that's in the kingdom and and i'll say this and we can kind of wrap up abraham made bad decisions but one thing I love about him is he always waited on God. He always remember when he he's taking Isaac up, right? The sacrifice that had to be hard. But Hebrews eleven said he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if it was supposed to be that way. He had enough faith and enough reverence, and that's where I'm getting to. The way you define free will will also define the way that you have reverence or not towards God. Because if you base everything off what you decide. And what you do, the reverence you might have toward God might start to fade away to what you do. And the word I ruins all things. But when you look at Abraham, his reverence was towards God alone. He waited on God. He was patient for God. He wanted God to lead him and guide him. And guess what? When he made those wrong decisions, God still provided. God was still faithful. He kept the covenant and he promised he made with Abraham. And so today, you you know, I hope that this conversation that we've had will provoke some people to really think about their lives. Think about the decisions you make. Think about, you know, uh, what am I doing what God's wanting me to do? But ultimately, think about this. Let God lead you in all decisions. Let God guide you. Let the Holy Spirit uh, answer your questions and give you clarity on what you need to do in this life. Because here's the thing. If we'll be patient on the Lord and we'll wait on Him, He'll be there. And that's the only thing that I think, the only literal concrete statement I can make about free will is seek God and wait on His will and do His will. Because, I mean, that's literally what He's instructed us to do. Mm -hmm. Do my will, right? 
I was thinking what, what you're talking about there about our, about our prayer life, and do you do you not pray for the future? Do you I, not say, Lord, help me do what I need to do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Lord, I want to be in your will. Lord, put me where you want me tomorrow. Yeah. Lord, help me say the right things. Lord, help me do the right things. Lord, help me be who you want me to be. What does all that sound like? Mm-hmm. But tomorrow's going to come if it does, and I'm going to turn around and look at today, tomorrow, Lord willing, and I'm going to say, man, God put me at the right place at the right time. at the right time so looking ahead versus you know looking back and you know we preach Christ and we preach him crucified uh, we we preach him that hey he died for your sins and I, I and I'm going and I'm going to preach hey come to the cross I'm going to preach hey Christ is the answer and then I am going to sit down with faith knowing that he he's going to accomplish his purpose absolutely and that's that's it when when we get when you're in John three and it talks about people being born of the Spirit, like the wind, you can't see it, but it, it takes place. And then you read Matthew twenty eight, simple, preach the gospel, share the gospel, yep. and leave the saving up to Him. But I would encourage you guys: what is your view? And answer this question for yourself: What's your view of free will in light of Scripture? Because as I expressed, mine before I really got into the Word was not even close to biblical obedience or disobedience or what we would say biblical free will and now i'm to the point i don't really use the word a lot because when you really get into sovereignty and you study out scripture dude it's just god it's just god and that's it it's him on his throne it's it, and it's obedience and, to his word in our part if free will is to do as you please and live as you want then why would he have a book of remembrance of all the things you've done in your body whether they be good or whether they be bad will be brought up at the end of time when you stand before yeah. him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So that brings in the reality is that man's accountable. He is. So, and I, like I said, I just hope this challenges some because it's easy to get caught up in a system of religion because of what your pastor says. You should challenge yourself in this and really view it and think about it. So, guys, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to say? Hey, I appreciate y'all coming and hanging out. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll continue this segment. We might be back into this subject. I'm not for sure. Uh, There's just so much in it. But, uh, guys, thanks again. uh, Wake up, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out, brother. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Peace out.